This podcast may contain explicit language. This is the Dynasty Download Podcast. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. 2018 champ, current uh, leader of the league, Ethan Hamilton. If you would like to contact the show, please write us at DynastyDownload10 at gmail.com. Again, that's DynastyDownload10 at gmail.com. I'm going to let that pitch go by because for (laughs) as long as I've been doing the show, I've been very good about um, keeping myself in check, uh, making sure I don't drink, uh, all of those things. And tonight, that is not one of them because we are coming at you during the middle of the election results. And uh, in a past life, I was an election operative, just to pull back the curtain a little bit. So I'm extremely anxious over all that's going on. And I know that some people may say, oh, who cares? It's not that big a deal. They're both the same. You know what? I care. That's why. Okay. Let's move quickly to uh, Dynasty Waiver Wire Pickups column is out as it is every Tuesday. It was published this morning. Uh, If you haven't gone out and gotten that yet, I don't know if you will be able to in time in order to uh, um, get to that before the, let's say, Wednesday deadline for most leagues. If it's a Thursday deadline, then maybe. But uh, if you want some Dynasty pickup advice for uh, that as we get past We're already through uh, probably about two-thirds or pretty close to two-thirds of the season uh, so far. And we're kind of getting into that last playoff push. So uh, definitely be picking that up on Tuesdays and uh, making sure that uh, you have that ready to go for yourself. Trade roundups, just some interesting numbers for uh, us to analyze as far as um, stuff that went down in our league specifically. Uh, Todd Gurley and a seventh-round pick for Cooper Cup and a fourth-round pick. And uh, Mike Williams got traded for Miles Gaskin today straight up. Uh, Miles Gaskin is projected to be out for the next three weeks with an MCL sprain. That's why they traded for DeAndre Washington uh, from Kansas City today. So uh, do you have any reaction to either of these trades? Um, I thought... Honestly, both of them were very, very fair. I understand the Todd Gurley and the Cooper Cup trade, and then the Mike Williams one as well. I mean, both of them are involving a new league member, so he's just trying to put his own little personal touch on his team, and I can understand that. But for the most part, I think both these trades are pretty even. I would tend to agree. I don't have any substantial issue with either of them. I'm a lot higher on Mike Williams than I am on Miles Gaskin, and that was before I knew that he had an injury. I did talk to the owner to make sure that he understood that uh, Miles Gaskin had an injury, but he seems to be taking the long-term view, which is good from a new owner that they've kind of got that perspective already. But the issue to me is more of um, whether or not, uh, I guess, his uh, opinion of the situation is correct. Essentially, he sees Mike Williams as being an injured wide receiver who is paired with a quote-unquote system quarterback in Justin Herbert. And I don't particularly uh, agree with that opinion from what I've seen so far from Herbert. Uh, I know he will have some bumps in the road, 
but he has put up a lot of numbers so far, and he's got a lot of uh, good position players around him, not to mention the fact that he's missing several linemen this season. So if they were to ever get healthy, have their full complement of guys, I do believe that he is a top-level quarterback right now. Um, as far as the Todd Gurley Cooper Cup thing, I I know Cooper Cup has had uh, some name recognition. He's uh, been a guy that has kind of overperformed to a certain extent, especially from where his owner originally drafted him. I think that was like a third or fourth round pick in that particular draft. Uh, he needed some running back help. He's very uh, set at the wide receiver position already, so he was trading a little bit from strength. And I understand it. The the draft picks, honestly, once you get past about the first three rounds, to me, it doesn't uh, matter nearly as much. And so none of this is causing me any uh, consternation or issue when it comes to these. I, I feel that everybody kind of got what they wanted. All right, valuations. My buy low candidate of the week is Zach Moss. Uh, after what I've seen out of him the last couple of weeks since he's been healthy, uh, he basically had and split the carries with Devin Singletary. He's um, splitting the time, but he's also the goal line back. And I think he's just going to increase touches as we go along in a potentially productive offense. I see him taking over that lead back spot and pretty much carrying it from that point on. Um, my sell high candidate of the week is Mike Evans. He had a decent game on Monday. You know that he is at uh, some point going to be competing with both Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin, not to mention um, uh, Gronkowski has been playing well over the past three to four weeks. And so I just see this as the high point of his season, unless you're taking the view that Tom Brady is going to retire in the offseason. And again, we have gotten a lot of bets wrong um, between the two of us on when that's going to happen, as well as most of America. But those are pretty much what I what I would call uh, a sure thing that he is uh, dipped in production significantly. And unless you think uh, Brady is going to be retiring, I, I really don't um, see that being him getting any higher than this. Let's say that his trade value is dipped up just enough that you might be able, based on name recognition and recent production, to be able to get something for him, um, especially if you're in a redraft league. All right. What I got wrong. I'm going to take out the what I got right because I usually just kind of sprinkle that in over the course of the show. So we're going to reformat this a little bit. But what I got wrong, Le'Veon Bell had just a terrible week. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. There was no passing in uh, either of the Ohio-based games, really. Um, although Cincinnati and uh, Tennessee was a little bit better, but it just was not going to A.J. Brown this game. Again, we're going to get to that one in a minute. Justin Jefferson grossly underperformed because they didn't really need to throw the football at all because they were uh, either tied with Green Bay or kind of uh, uh, ahead, and thus uh, his need to come from behind where he's gotten a lot of garbage points this season was not there. Uh, I also was wrong on Patrick Mahomes, thinking they would be up early and be running the ball. I completely got that one wrong. He had by far the highest point total of the weekend for any quarterback against the Jets. Um, with, I think, five touchdowns uh, throwing and over 400 yards passing. Uh, he clearly uh, cleared that bar. And Mike Evans, although I think it might be the last time that I'm really wrong on Mike Evans, but I thought he would have a much worse day. Five catches, 55 yards, and a touchdown in this one. Again, his value ticks up just slightly enough that you might be able to get some decent compensation for where he was drafted. 
League Roundup, we'll just quickly run through these uh, for you. Uh, Tom Terrific suffers another heartbreaking loss. Um, 111.9 to 122.85. Uh, he falls into second place um, fractionally, but um, is not necessarily in a good position, having lost two in a row and his team slowly fading down the stretch. Shadynasty wins 134.85 over Akron Pros 121.95. Uh, this was not a great fantasy week for most of these teams. Uh, Dynasty football team, 113.8 to 102.9 over Ed Winners. They get another win and cement themselves clearly as the fourth place team, uh, probably have just about locked down a playoff spot. Uh, New Boot Goofin loses uh, in the lowest scoring by far (laughs) of the weekend, 90.8 to 94.7 to Dumpster Fire, who moves into seventh place. Rogers Rabbits uh, suffers a heartbreaking loss and has pretty well eliminated themselves from the playoff contention at two and six, uh, 151.05 to 121.35. He would have beaten uh, pretty much about uh, half the league and got in the worst matchup possible this weekend. So that takes it to currently the uh, places for the playoffs. Shadynasty in number one, Tom Terrific currently in number two. Uh, King in the North, number three, Dynasty Football Team, number four, uh, LDH, number five, Akron Pros, number six. As it would currently stand, those would be your playoff positions. The two bye weeks would go to Tom Terrific and Shadynasty. Dynasty. All right. Uh, let's move forward into the games. Uh, this was a weird week. Uh, I just have to say this is probably one of the weirdest weeks we've had in quite a long time. Uh, I know that this is also one of the weeks that Vegas pretty much lost its shirt uh, with a lot of the big underdogs winning games. And it, it was not, um, it was not a great bettable weekend. There was so much uncertainty. The weather played into a lot of these games and game script was a, a kind of a monster in a lot of ways. But Let's start off with what was my game of the week. Steelers win 28 to 24 on the road in Baltimore. Uh, J.K. Dobbins rushes for 15 carries and 113 yards. Gus Edwards 16 carries, 87 yards and a touchdown. Lamar Jackson 16 uh, carries for 65 yards, 208 yards passing, two touchdowns and two costly interceptions. Uh, also loses on the last play of the game in a pass in the end zone. James Conner, 15 carries, 47 yards, one touchdown. Juju Smith-Schuster, again resurgent, uh, another week, seven catches, 67 yards. Uh, Hollywood Brown, who had an interesting Twitter moment after the game, I will let you read that one on your own, folks, uh, had one catch for three yards and one touchdown. Big Ben ends up with 182 passing yards and two touchdowns. But the reaction I have to this uh, has been the one that's kind of been the media narrative coming out of it. Uh, the Steelers are 7-0, and and the Chiefs just put up a huge number on the Jets. They have been basically projected as the two teams that uh, are the most Super Bowl-worthy, especially out of the AFC at this point, with uh, the Ravens losing to both teams so far. Now, these were both of my uh, preseason championship game picks. I picked the Steelers to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl and win over the Dallas Cowboys. But are you buying on the Steelers? I think the Steelers are a good football team, but if you were to ask me who I'm picking between the Steelers and the Chiefs if they're to play, um, I'm still going to go with the Chiefs. Um, 
and I don't really know why. I think maybe it's just because they've been they were just there. Um, they're a younger, more explosive team. Um, and then obviously the quarterback play, but that Steeler defense is incredible. Um, but there, a lot of their offense, I'm still not super sold on in Pittsburgh. But if I was to choose today, I would, I would take Kansas City. But I think it would be a really, really good game. I think it'd be a really good game because I think if they met up that uh, Kansas City against Pittsburgh's defense or Kansas City's offense against Pittsburgh's defense would be a premier matchup. But if you're asking me who I feel better about coming out of this game, it's actually Baltimore. I The stats are one thing, and I think that some of the narrative is lost out of this. Again, the Steelers were up big in this game. They've been up in the these games against the Titans. They've been up in these games against the Eagles. And then teams start throwing. And when teams really can start chugging out uh, yardage, get rolling, get things working, it's that the Ravens ran out of time. Otherwise, they could have very easily won this game. And I don't think Lamar Jackson's there right now where uh, he's capable of making these late-game comebacks in the same way that some of these other premier quarterbacks are. But I actually think the Ravens' defense outplayed the Steelers for most of the game and that the Steelers got pretty fortunate by picking off two passes from Lamar Jackson. Had the Ravens played in the second half like they did in the first half, this game wouldn't have been very close. And I think the Ravens would have prevailed. Honestly, I think the Ravens are the biggest threat to Kansas City, not Pittsburgh. And I know that's extremely against what everybody else is saying right now, that, you know, the old Bill Parcells saying you are you are what your record says you are. But I, right now I'm seeing that Baltimore is slowly rising. Their offense is slowly getting better. They're rushing the ball better. Their defense is getting that much uh, tougher. And while they haven't won some of these big games, I think it's still coming. And they could be that kind of surprise team that uh, creeps up and beats somebody on the road in the playoffs. Let's move to Vikings-Packers. The Vikings surprisingly take it to Green Bay in Lambeau Field. Dalvin Cook was the big story of the game. 163 yards, rushing three touchdowns, two catches, 63 yards, and one touchdown, including a 50-yard receiving screen touchdown. Adam Thielen, three catches, 27 yards. Justin Jefferson, three catches, 26 yards. Devontae Adams, seven catches, 53 yards, three touchdowns. Robert Tanyan, five catches, 79 yards. Aaron Rodgers, 291 yards passing and three touchdowns. Uh, Jamal Williams had a decent game in this, although uh, both A.J. Dillon, um, well, A.J. Dillon has tested positive for the Thursday night game that the Packers are supposed to play out in San Francisco. And... Uh, as a result, two of the Packer players, including Jamal Williams, are high-risk contact. Uh, they will probably not be available for Thursday night's game due to protocols. So the real bigger, excuse me, the bigger issue in this game was um, the Vikings pretty much uh, getting up early in the second half. The Packers' defense unable to really stop the run yet again. Are you worried about the viability of the Vikings with wide receivers, though, if Dalvin keeps being heavily featured like this? Um, I mean, it was kind of how it was last year, right? You know, um, with Stefan Diggs and with um, Thielen, they very rarely both had amazing games at the same time. Uh, A lot of that has to do with yeah, Dalvin being really good and them only being able to support one wide receiver. So um, I don't know if I'm like panicking and like selling these people, but you can 
you can depend on the inconsistency of the Viking wide receivers because, yeah, you have arguably the best running back in the league on your team, and you're obviously going to feed him. you got two very old-school coaches in Mike Zimmer and Gary Kubiak. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, the run is going to be very, very important to the Vikings, especially if it's going to be this successful. So I don't think it's time to panic for Thielen, and especially for Justin Jefferson in Dynasty. You're super pumped if you have him on your squad. But it's going to be pretty inconsistent for this year and, and maybe for the next couple of years as they as they start to get talent back on that squad and maybe start looking for a new quarterback. I was kind of surprised that Green Bay didn't really sell out on the run in this game, given how high wins pretty much controlled the depth of targets for wide receivers. And uh, to a certain extent, I wouldn't anticipate most teams um, basically backing off and allowing Delvin to have that huge of a game. So what we've seen so far is Thielen and Jefferson can both have decent games, but it's usually in situations where they're losing or they need to start throwing the ball and they pretty much have to abandon the run because they get down early or the game script kind of dictates that. So with their defense being kind of beat up, they lost another corner who was stretched off during the course of this game. Uh, if they're playing a different team or doing something um, that, that's completely different than what this game was, I, I don't know if I'm panicked. It didn't help me and my team specifically because I had both Thielen and Jefferson starting and they pretty well underperformed what I had hoped for. But it's certainly not something that I'm uh, currently worried about given how productive they can be when they're balling out. Let's go to Colts uh, and Lions. Colts 41, Lions 21. Uh, the biggest story of this one was the running back situation for the Colts yet again. Jonathan Taylor drastically underperforms, 11 carries, 22 yards, two receptions for nine yards. He pretty well gets pulled in the game. Uh, the comments by um, uh, Frank Reich after the game basically said that they gave way to Jordan Wilkins because of how ineffective Jonathan Taylor has been so far. 20 carries, 89 yards, one touchdown, one reception for 24 yards for Wilkins. Uh, Naheem Hines, five carries for eight yards, but three catches for 54 yards and two touchdowns incredible uh, spinning play into the end zone on one of those. DeAndre Swift, six carries, one yard, three total receptions for 22 yards. TJ Hawkinson uh, continues to creep up the tight end rankings. Seven catches, 65 yards in this one. Kenny Galladay leads in the first quarter injured, had only one target in the game, and uh, it's unfortunate to see him out, but in his absence, the Lions did pro uh, produce some decent yardage uh, between both Marvin Jones Jr., who ended up with two touchdowns in this game, and Marvin Hall, who had over 100 yards receiving. The Colts' defense accounts for five sacks, one fumble, one pick, and one game-sealing pick six. So the bigger questions are, can uh, Jonathan Taylor be salvaged, and is Jordan Wilkins a heavy pickup? In redraft, you're a little frustrated because you obviously you spent – probably a good chunk of change in draft position to get a Jonathan Taylor type. Um, in Dynasty, I think you're okay. And the reason for that is uh, Melvin Gordon. Uh, if we remember how underwhelming he was his rookie year, maybe for Wisconsin backs, maybe it just takes a year. Um, but I know it's freaking frustrating. As being a Jonathan Taylor owner, um, you expected him to produce 
right away, and you expected him to produce heavy right away. Um, he hasn't necessarily taken over that backfield, but as the weeks have gone on, um, he has gotten more control over it up until this point. He hasn't been bad. You know what I mean? He hasn't been bad where it's like, oh my God, I, I can't have this guy on my team anymore, but he's been underperforming and just been disappointing, I guess. So in Dynasty, um, you just got to be patient. There's there's no way, there's no way that a guy that's this good, that put up these many numbers and that had this successful of a career in a pretty physical conference that he's going to be a bust in the NFL. I just, I have a hard time believing it. I know you can name a number of people that have busted. It's just, you see Jonathan Taylor and you see him as a runner. He's such a pure runner um, and powerful and he's big. And I think maybe just because there was no preseason, no training camp, all that other stuff, he's just a step behind. So I think patience is the key uh, for Jonathan Taylor. But yeah, I understand the frustrated, the frustration. I'm frustrated, you know? So I get it, but I feel like patience just needs to go with Jonathan Taylor. And uh, Jordan Wilkins? Uh, heavy pickup. I mean, I can understand, but I don't think long-term, I don't think this backfield is his. I think this backfield does belong to Jonathan Taylor long-term. Um, we also know he's dealing with kind of an ankle injury, how severe that is for Jonathan Taylor, we don't know. Um, but, I mean, for people that are just picking up people – to play week to week, I can understand the Wilkins uh, pickup, but this backfield dynasty wise long-term belongs to Jonathan Taylor. I'm very nervous about what may or may not happen this next week. If they've truly given way and you see, I mean, the, the carry disparity is uh, pretty significant that Wilkins got 20 carries in this game. And to me, that says that they were very frustrated with Taylor I can't explain it. I would have thought he was much better than this. And right now, he's just simply not producing. They're not indicating that there's some type of injury or anything else that we can really point to and say that there's um, something that's wrong with him. But right now, as if I'm in redraft league, uh, he might be after next week if he doesn't get a significant amount of carries, if he's pretty well relegated to uh, second string or second fiddle behind Wilkins, he might be droppable as far as I'm concerned. In Dynasty, obviously you're waiting, but he's not startable. Uh, I don't think anyone could start him going forward until you see him produce something that isn't two yards a carry. I, I just, I need to see it. So. I mean, he had a bad week. You can't, you can't argue he had a really bad week, but the season, the season has not been awful for Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I'm trying to pull up his stuff right now. My computer was going a little haywire, but I mean, he, week two, he had 26 carries, 13, 17, 12, 12, 11. And I mean, he's been putting up double digit. He's only put up, um, under double digit fantasy points twice. Um, the touchdowns aren't there. You think he would be like a touchdown machine. He's only got two of them. And then the receiving. Yeah, we, that's, that's what we knew about him. Uh, week two gave us a little bit of optimism because he had a big game in the, out of the backfield receiving that day. But yeah, the frustration is there and he was not good. He wasn't, but to just panic after one tough week because he's just underperformed as a rookie. That's where I'm at. 
I'm not panicking after one week. It's been systematically downgrading the whole time. I, he may have scored 10 points, but that means he's in the flex territory. He's not an RB1. He's not even in the RB2 category for me. Uh, he's not producing enough uh, viable options, and his floors are bad. It, it To me, he's not startable. Just I mean, I can understand that he's not startable. Like, I understand that. But to say that he's giving away the backfield, that's not. He's, each week, he's been getting more and more carries and more and more snaps than everybody else was up until this week. When the but coach like, specifically I, highlights your play, and it specifically is said that you're underproducing, and so they give 20 carries to the other guy, to me, that's a huge red one flag. One week. One week. You're a rookie in the league, man. It's that doesn't happen. That doesn't but happen because of one draft week. Capital. I get it. it. Yes. If you're if you're doing two yards of carry this one week, why? Why the fuck would I put him out there? He's also dealing with an ankle injury, which is what he said, which is what Philip Rivers said as well. So like, I get it. I understand that. But I'm not to the point where like I'm freaking out where he's gonna lose the backfield. I don't think he's gonna lose the backfield. He had a really bad fucking game. He was awful. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. He was awful. He had 2.2 yards of carry. He was bad. But rookies have bad games, especially rookies that don't have a preseason, don't have a training camp, don't have OTAs, doing meetings in Zoom. Who knows what type of a learner he is, you know, if, like, maybe learning off of a laptop, all that other nonsense isn't good for him. We'll see. But for me, and the draft capital that you put into him, dynasty speaking, you got to be patient. You can't sell. And if you're going to trade him, you need to get what he's still worth, what I think he's still worth, and not let the stock completely drop where, you, where you're where you betting against yourself. Let's go to Bills-Patriots. The Bills win this one in a close game, 24-21. to 21. Cam Newton fumbles in the red zone to end the game. Uh, Damian Harris has a decent game, uh, which – I feel a little weird about given that uh, uh, I did kind of predict this to one of our league members that he might end up with him on the bench and then he has a big game. But unfortunately, that ended up being the case. I don't think anyone was starting Damian Harris this week. So like and I told him as much that you'd be much more depressed if you end up trying to take a flyer and then he has a a crappy game. But uh, 16 carries, 102 yards and one touchdown on the ground. Cam Newton, 174 yards through the air, nine carries, 54 yards, and a touchdown. Devin Singletary, 14 carries, 86 yards. Uh, The previously mentioned Zach Moss, 16 carries, 81 yards, two touchdowns. Josh Allen, 154 yards passing, an interception, 10 carries for 23 yards, and a touchdown. So my big question coming out of this one, though, is would you rather have Zach Moss Devin Singletary or Damian Harris for the rest of the season? I'm going Zach Moss. Um, I think I think it was on our podcast where I was talking about how much I liked Zach Moss. How I think I, he had potential. And I think you were talking about how you think that he was going to eventually take over that backfield. And I think that's coming to flourishing. He had a better he had a better game. His yards per carry were pretty decent. Um, like you said before, he's the red zone guy. Um, slowly, 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 Singletary's carries and snaps have been going down. Uh, for me, I'm not there with Damian Harris. I don't really want any Patriots on my squad, so I'm going Zach Moss. 
I liked Damian Harris coming into the season because uh, the Patriots were apparently very close to cutting Sony Michelle. And Damian Harris was um, apparently the guy that they had number one coming out of camp. He got hurt. And so that was kind of a, an, an unusual situation for how they had that that whole thing for them. Um, but I already mentioned it up top. I think the buy low candidate in this is Zach Moss. He's slowly ticking up, as you just mentioned. Uh, I think Devin Singletary has been brutal as the uh, solitary back. I think he actually improves with less touches. I think he's a more efficient player, and his passing role might increase uh, now that they have a more um, power back, if you will. But Zach Moss is also going to get the uh, red zone carries and the goal line touches. And I think if he's going to have a higher chance to score, he's still not giving away too much in the passing game. I think he's the guy that you want out of this. He's in the better offense of the the two teams, and he's the better back of the two uh, t- on that team. What's your concern level, though, for Josh Allen? Boy, I'm glad um, I'm glad Dana didn't accept that trade offer I made for him. That's for sure, because um, I remember offering up quite a bit for him. Um, you know, it's not panic because he's still a young quarterback, but you're like, where the hell did he go? He started off on such a tear. You know, and I really don't think it gets any better. The weather's not going to get any better in Buffalo as the games come as as the season goes on. It's not going to get any warmer, um, and the games aren't going to get any easier either. So, um, yeah, you're starting to worry. He he went from a for sure must start each and every week to maybe someone you only want to start on decent matchups um, very very quickly in a matter of weeks. So I'm a little concerned for Josh Allen. Yeah, I'm starting to get into that territory as well, um, that uh, if you had another viable option, he's moved well outside the top five for me at the position, and even his running value has been limited lately. His passing numbers have dipped pretty much every week since that huge start that he had, and the the Bills' abilities to win have pretty well dipped as well. They may end up winning this division, but it's not nearly as... Uh, dominant as we thought they might be early on in the season. Bengals win at home, uh, surprisingly, 31-20 to 20 over the Titans. Uh, T. Higgins, six catches, 78 yards. Tyler Boyd, six catches, 67 yards, and one touchdown. Auden Tate, seven catches, 65 yards. Uh, the Bengals distributed the ball well Joe Burrow in this one. Uh, Derrick Henry with another uh, 100-yard day, 18 carries, 112 yards, and a touchdown. Just another day at the office. Uh, AJ Brown, as we mentioned before, is kind of a has a down day for more or less four catches, 24 yards and a touchdown. But the big breakout yet again, the guy that we all love to talk about on this particular (laughs) podcast, Corey Davis, eight catches, 128 yards and a touchdown. Ah, Corey Davis. We go to reaction from our number one Corey Davis fan. Man, that's what you get with Corey Davis. You're either fucked with him, you know, because you play against him and then all of a sudden he goes off and you're like, who the fuck is this? Or he's on your team and he's sitting on your bench and you're like, fuck you, Corey Davis. So, yeah, I expected this from Corey Davis. All right. So would you rather have Joe Burrow or Ryan Tannehill, two guys that have actually performed fairly well for most of the season so far uh, for the rest of the year? The two guys that were actually on my team until I traded away Joey Burrow. Um, but I'd much rather have Joe Burrow, and the reason why is he is that offense. As that offense goes, he goes. With Ryan Tannehill, he's kind of just a game manager. 
don't make too many mistakes, hit the opening guy. We'll give you a couple opportunities at some touchdowns, but really your job is to turn around, stick your arm out, and make sure you place the ball in Derrick Henry's gut. With Joe Burrow, you're living by Joe Burrow, you're dying by Joe Burrow, so for that, there's going to be a lot more points that come with Joe Burrow. Ryan Tannehill has been very, very good, um, but I just like the ceiling that you get with a Joe Burrow more than a Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill's floor is higher. He's been a top 10 quarterback since he pretty much took over that job. But I would tend to agree that the ceilings are higher with Burrow, even though the floors are lower. So I would ultimately go for the guy because he's probably your backup quarterback uh, in this stage with uh, Burrow at the position just because you have those uh, certain matchups where he might overperform and thus uh, he's going to get you one of those big days that might win you a game or two. a resurgent after uh, Odell Beckham Jr. goes out for the season, uh, Richard Higgins uh, versus Corey Davis, who again, uh, after being on the COVID list and now that he's back, uh, puts up another big game. Which one would you rather have for the rest of the season out of those two? Can't believe it. You're making me say it. You're making me go there. I would much rather have Corey Davis than Higgins for the rest of the season. And the reason because of that is A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown is going to um, require a whole lot of attention. Um, so that frees up a lot more man, our man coverage, a lot more um, of Corey Davis going up against not as good a cornerbacks. It, listen, Corey Davis was one of the more fun guys that I watched a lot of film on. Um, I've talked about it a million times. I drafted Corey Davis. I think I took him, took him with my second pick. Maybe it was a late first, early second or something like that. And he's an excellent route runner, very, very good hands. But for some reason, he just, he couldn't, he couldn't figure it out consistently as a number one wide receiver in the NFL. Maybe he's just a number two wide receiver. Maybe he needs to have a really, really good wide receiver in front of him to take a little pressure off. So he's not going up against number ones with safeties over the top and linebackers inside always looking after him. So um, I'm taking Corey Davis um, partly because of A.J. Brown, but also to Corey Davis. He's a he is a very good wide receiver. Maybe he starts to put it all together. Well, I'll take Corey Davis as well, just because a I think Tannehill's a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield Two. Uh, with the effect of Derrick Henry, they're throwing out of a lot of really good scenarios um, when it comes to um, the uh, uh, situation with their wide receivers out of those play-action passes. And like you said, it he's not having to play the number one sometimes, even though I wouldn't say Higgins is the number one receiver, but um, Davis is in a good situation that he's also much more talented than Richard Higgins. Uh, I think he's just in a better situation overall, and that, that would be where my money would be at for this particular game. All right. Raiders win on the road in Cleveland, 16 to six in a really sloppy, ugly game. Not that the weather was too terrible other than this might've been the worst wind game of any of them this weekend. Josh Jacobs, 31 carries. He finally gets over a hundred yards with 128, uh, Kareem Hunt ends up with 14 carries, 66 yards, two catches for seven yards. But really, there I, I don't know if there's a ton to take out of this uh, game because uh, the passing games were not prolific. The kicking games, if you go back and watch, there's a 
um, clip of one of the field goals that just went horribly wrong. There was just too much wind in this game for that, and the Raiders just out-physicaled the Browns, which I wasn't sure they were going to be capable of doing, but that is kind of how Gruden has built his team. So the story out of this one is uh, the two running backs, and with Cleveland going into their bye, um, Kareem Hunt is out next week. We expect Nick Chubb coming back. But are you more worried about Kareem Hunt or Josh Jacobs going forward? I'm more worried about Kareem Hunt, and it has everything to do with Nick Chubb coming back. Josh Jacobs, whether you like it or not, that's his backfield. Um, No one's coming to take that. Um, But for Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb is eventually coming back, and they're going to get back to a split in the backfield. Maybe he even loses more than 50% share of the backfield. So um, I'm more worried for Kareem Hunt. I'm just the opposite. The fact that Josh Jacobs needed 30 carries to get over 120 yards in this game, his per carry number has just been abysmal this season, and I don't know what has really gotten into that because he was actually really good efficiency-wise on a per carry basis last season. So maybe teams have figured out how to try and um, go against the Raiders' run game, but they're clearly trying to establish the run. So he's going to get a ton of carries, but is he going to be effective with them? He's also been eliminated from the passing game. Kareem Hunt actually produced some of his best games when Nick Chubb was there. And I think with the Browns now being less explosive on offense, that they really need to re-cement their prowess with the run and with the power run, which they're only going to be able to do with Nick Chubb. And if you're talking to me about Kareem Hunt coming in as the change of pace back, the guy with a little bit more power, the guy who's going to be the receiving back, I think he has actually a higher efficiency, even though he may see lower touches. Um, with Nick Chubb there where he was playing in the uh, high uh, running back two, low running back one situation early on in the season. So I'm actually a little bit higher on that situation with Nick Chubb back. Let's go to Chiefs at the or excuse me, the Jets visiting the Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs win this one 35 to nine. This game was close a little bit early on where the Jets were within a few points and then well, Patrick Mahomes went and was Patrick Mahomes. 416 yards passing, five touchdowns. Travis Kelsey, eight catches, 109 yards and a touchdown, uh, cementing himself as the number one tight end by far, uh, especially with a development that we'll get to in a later game. Tyreek Hill, four catches, 98 yards, two touchdowns. And Nicole Hardman, seven catches, 96 yards and a touchdown. The two running backs in this game that we talked about a lot coming in, CEH, six carries, 21 yards, three catches, 10 yards. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, six carries, seven yards, three catches, 31 yards. Jamison Crowder was out, but let's be honest, none of the Jets of note uh, are worth noting here, even LaMichael Pirine. So I guess if there were anything to talk about, it's the running back situation and Mecole Hardman. What do you rate as uh, the future rating on Mecole Hardman, a guy we've discussed multiple times on the show? What is Tyreek Hill's contract looking like? Sorry, I don't know. I think he re-signed for a big number last season, so it was front-loaded. And that was before they gave Mahomes uh, and Travis Kelsey and, uh, for that matter, Chris Jones a lot of money. So I think he's locked up for like three or four years. For Hardman, I mean, it's so – it's tough. I mean, because that – it's so tough to predict who's going to get what um, on that offense because there's so many mouths to feed. But I think for sure he's somebody that you got to hang on to. Um, I think he could eventually step in and take that Tyreek Hill role 
um, if for some reason they get rid of him. Uh, you know, he's blazing fast. He has very good hands, very good route runner, um, and he fits. He's a perfect fit for that offense. So uh, for Hardman, I like it. Um, someone to hold on to that in a, I don't know, couple of years could turn into someone really special. I like him a little bit sooner than that. I think that it depends. I, I don't think he plays the same role as Sammy Watkins, who ends up being a possession receiver and plays kind of a similar role to Travis Kelsey, especially with a lot of the teams that have tried to uh, play deep on the Chiefs this year, trying to avoid the big play, uh, try and keep them underneath passing. Because realistically, Tyreek Hill and Mecole Hardman are there to take the top off on most of these defenses. So this might be a situation where the Jets were just the right opponent. Uh, I am very concerned about the running back situation for both of them, as it looks like the Chiefs are just going to default to the passing game uh, if they can. And that's been their MO since basically Kareem Hunt left. But Given the talent level they have in both of them, I'm really surprised they haven't been able to use them so far. Uh, part of that may be that the matchups haven't been great and their offensive line is beat up. Uh, they've had a lot of guys in and out of the lineup and they may not be um, at the same uh, standard that they were a couple of years ago when Kareem Hunt was leading the league in the, for the rushing title. But I think Mecole Hardman is a high upside potential flex curious play depending on who they're playing. And he's a guy I'd like to stash on my bench. Am I starting him each week? No. And am I uh, consistently um, high on him? No. But we'll we'll see where that one ends up. And I, I think he's a guy that uh, I think has a decent future yet ahead of him. It just depends on where he is in that offense yet. Uh, Dolphins win at home 28-17 to 17 over the Rams. Uh Jared Goff has two interceptions, giving the short field to the Dolphins, who end up uh, cashing him in for touchdowns, as well as a punt return touchdown for the Dolphins special teams. Two only has 93 yards passing in his first uh, NFL start, one touchdown to Devontae Parker. Uh, Jared Goff, mostly in cleanup duty, 355 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. Cooper Cups, 11 catches for 110 yards. Uh, Robert Woods has his breakout game of the season so far, seven catches, 85 yards and a touchdown, two carries, nine yards, one touchdown. And Devontae Parker had the one cut or one catch for three yards and a touchdown, much like Hollywood Brown for uh, the Ravens. Uh, the Rams running back situation, which we've talked so much at length about, uh, Darrell Henderson Jr., eight carries, 47 yards, one catch for 11 yards. Uh, Malcolm Brown, 10 carries for uh, 40 yards, two catches for 17 yards, and Cam Akers, nine carries, 35 yards, one catch for 19 yards. It should also be mentioned, as uh, several people have today and yesterday, that Darrell Henderson Jr. did uh, have a thigh injury or sustained a thigh injury during the course of this game. Um, so, But let's focus, since we've given so much attention to the running back situation before, and we've already talked a little bit about the Miles Gaskin and the running back situation for uh, Miami, are uh, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup rounding the corner for the Rams? I think Cooper Cup has always been consistent. He's Jared Goff's favorite um, target. Um, very good route runner, very good hands. Um, not so much a guy that's going to get a bunch of yards after the catch. He's more of a possession receiver, but somebody that you can depend on um, to get you solid points each and every week. Robert Woods, he's a little bit more of a wild card, not necessarily in a bad case. It's just 
his floor and his ceiling are are separated a lot more than Cooper Cubs. Um, I think the Rams offense is getting a little bit better. Jared Goff didn't have his greatest game ever, um, but I think they're starting to figure stuff out on that side of the ball. So yeah, I would be, um, I would be excited um, if I was a Robert Woods Cooper Cup owner for the rest of the year. I think, um, I think they're trending in the right direction. The Rams have yet to play the Seahawks, and I think I, I'm not sure if they've played the Cardinals yet. Those are two defenses that will give up a lot of yardage, and I think that uh, matchup-wise, they could get uh, quite a few points down the stretch here. I do think this is also about the point in the season last year where the Rams started to get a little bit better, started to get a feel for what they were doing well as an offense. And once they've really uh, established the run, they might be um, a different team. Uh, Are Preston Williams or Devontae Parker startable, however, with Tua Tagovailoa if he's only going to throw for 93 yards a game? Not right now. I think you got to wait and see. I would have told you that last week, too. Um, throwing in a rookie quarterback into a, a new situation, playing against a tougher defense like the Rams. We talked about that with um, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. I think you got to see it for a couple of weeks before you throw those guys um, back into your lineups. I would tend to agree, but it has nothing really to do with them and just everything to do with Tua and how quickly right. he can adapt to the game. Yep. And I know that the Rams defense isn't necessarily an all world beater, but you're facing two of the top five people at their position in Aaron Donald and um, uh, Jalen Ramsey. And it's really hard to uh, do that in your first start and be competitive. So I, I don't look at this one as necessarily a sign of coming. It's just kind of a wait and see approach. So I would, I would definitely be on board with your thinking there. Uh, the Broncos win at home in an ugly game. Uh, this one was my upset pick of the week, and I got this one late because the Chargers were up big. Late comeback, last-minute win by Drew Locke, 31 to 30 at home. Justin Herbert throws for 320, or excuse me, 278 yards, three touchdowns, has two interceptions, costly interceptions, three carries for 21 yards. Uh, Justin Jackson, 17 carries, 89 yards, uh, three catches for 53 yards. Keenan Allen, nine catches, 67 yards and a touchdown. Mike Williams, five catches, 99 yards and a touchdown. Drew Locke, 248 yards passing, three touchdowns, one interception. Noah Fant, seven catches for 47 yards, thus locking him into that kind of mid-tier tight end rankings for the season. Jerry Judy, four catches for 73 yards. So we're going to play a new um, scenario that I would uh, like to throw out. Would you dynasty rather have Jerry Judy for his career or Mike Williams going forward? I'm going Jerry Judy. It was a pretty easy decision for me, and it has everything to do with age. Uh, Mike Williams, you know, he came in with Corey Davis. They were supposed to be the number one and number two wide receivers, right? Who was supposed to be the best wide receiver between the two of them? And uh, they both – Mike Williams came out actually a little bit quicker than Corey Davis did. He had a couple of – decent seasons earlier on in his career. Um, but neither of them have lived up to what you thought they were going to be, um, coming out. Jerry Judy. Um, I think I was pretty clear about this earlier on in the year about how I thought he was for sure. You know, if not the number one wide receiver, the number two wide receiver, I had him way ahead of Henry Ruggs, beautiful route runner. I mean, watching this guy run routes will bring a tear to your eye, really good hands. I think, for him, it's just 
quarterback play and just becoming more and more confident in, with the offense. But for me, it's pretty easy. I'd rather have Jerry Judy. I think it's a lot closer than that. I think Judy might be the more talented player in what we already think to be one of the um, uh, highest rated or most talented wide receiver classes we've ever had. The only issue I have is, is I really love when you pair good wide receivers with really good quarterbacks. And I, I'm really starting to love Justin Herbert and how he's playing. And if Mike Williams can stay healthy, like the talent's there. He was like the seventh pick overall. You always like those top 10 wide receivers, especially if they've been hurt. So if he can stay healthy, I think the talent level is pretty even uh, on some of that. It's been health and then pairing with quarterback. And I don't know how long Denver plans on sticking with Drew Locke. Again, he had a little bit better game in this one. He's been be their best quarterback overall, but I just, I'm not sure where that situation's going and how long that's going to be. You do give a factor for Judy, but for me, it's a toss-up right now. I think Judy could have the better career, but I like the situation that Mike Williams is in, and I'm pretty high on him uh, right now as it stands. Uh, let's go to uh, the Saints win in overtime in Chicago. Uh, down their top two receivers and pretty much their uh, half of their third receiver. Drew Brees still throws for 280 yards and two touchdowns. Alvin Kamara, 12 carries, 67 yards, nine catches, 96 yards. Jared Cook, five catches, five, 51 yards and a touchdown. Nick Foles, 272 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Allen Robinson with another big game, six catches for 87 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Anthony Miller, surprisingly, uh, popped up again. Eight catches for 73 yards. Daryl Mooney, five catches, 69 yards, and a touchdown. And quietly, why am I drawing a blank on his first name, Montgomery? Um, David. David Montgomery, thank you. 21 carries, 89 yards, two touchdowns, or excuse me, uh, 89 yards, two catches, 16 yards receiving. Uh, so my first question, though, has David Montgomery been become quietly useful? He's had a couple of these games where he's not producing big numbers, but he's getting a lot of touches with Tariq Cohen out. Yeah, I mean, as long as Cohen's out, you, you're excited. Um, when Cohen comes back, I guess then you're going to really see um, how much he won over the coaching staff. But I don't think for him, he, he's kind of in the same boat for me as Jonathan Taylor. Somebody that you had really, really high expectations on that just quite hasn't lived up to them yet. Not somebody that you're like necessarily not or not starting like for sure. Like every week, no, he's we're gonna stand my bench. Like it's just expectations were really, really high for him. He he didn't deliver right away. Um, maybe we're starting to see that he's starting to figure it out, but he's also on such a terrible offense. Um, and because of that offense, the quarterback play, uh, if I'm playing the bears, honestly, I just load the box and I make Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky, whichever one is playing quarterback beat me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can understand. Yeah. Quietly becoming useful. Um, I guess we just have to wait and see the patience for him um, to wait and see, but I don't, I, at the end of the year, I don't think he's going to be anywhere in like the top half of wide receiver twos at best middle back end. I think if he's going to get somewhere between 20 to 25 touches in a given game and it's the right matchup, he'd be worth a flex spot for me as a potentially useful player. But the big games are not there. 
he's had a lot of opportunities, even with the crazy volume, and he's still not producing. So to me, he's a uh, lower tier version of Josh Jacobs right now, based on where where the things are at. Except Jacobs actually falls into the end zone a few more times, and Jacobs is kind of on the fringe of RB one territory, given how poor the position has been so far this year. So it's kind of up in the air. But again, if he gets another decent matchup where he's playing somebody like the Saints and he's going to get 20 some touches because the volume's crazy, then I can definitely see starting him maybe as a flex option. But it's certainly worth exploring. It's it's not necessarily something I'm just missing out of hand, which we would have said most of last season. All right, let's move on to uh, Alvin Kamara, though. Uh, are you concerned about Alvin Kamara as good as he's been, that he's been kind of bailing out the passing game in a lot of ways? Does he potentially see a dip in points with uh, the eventual return of Michael Thomas? Uh, as a if I'm a Kamara owner, no, I'm not worried at all. I mean, he's the he's a stud on that squad, and you get your studs your ball. Get you get your studs the ball. Um, with Michael Thomas coming back, I think if anything, it just opens up uh, more things for him. Um, Kamara's been one of the top uh, fantasy running backs his entire career, and for his entire career, he's had Michael Thomas on his team, so I don't think that changes. I think when they were force-feeding Thomas the ball last season, there was a different ratio, but also Elvin Kamara was hurt. So I'm not sure we can draw a lot of conclusions. I don't think he's going to get crazy amounts of uh, volume in the passing game. You know, nine catches, 96 yards is a lot. But more efficient because defenses can't just simply key in on him. That's possible. So I think it might be a wash overall, but it's an interesting question to kind of revisit as we go into the season again we don't know when we're going to see michael thomas we've been waiting on him most of the season he was out again this week but you would expect to see him back at some point um so it, we'll see i guess but i i it's a interesting question to monitor seahawks win 37 to 27 against the san francisco 49ers unfortunately the 49ers really weren't close in this one due to the fact jimmy garoppolo has another terrible game he leaves with a high ankle sprain. He will be out for a number of weeks. Uh, they play Thursday night against Green Bay. Um, the bigger injury, though, is George Kittle uh, leaves with a fracture in his ankle or his foot, one of the two. He is going to be out at minimum eight weeks, uh, which would put him into the playoffs almost. Uh, his fantasy season is basically done at this point. Uh, he was put on IR earlier today. Russell Wilson balls out again, 261 yards passing, four touchdowns. He has a little bit of rushing added to it. But they primarily went to DK Metcalf, 12 catches, 161 yards, and two touchdowns in this one. Nick Mullins in mop-up duty and mostly garbage time, 238 yards passing, two touchdowns. Brandon Ayuk, my uh, stud of the week performer, uh, doesn't put up a huge number, but puts up a pretty good number, eight catches, 91 yards, and a touchdown. So my question, though, is can the 49ers really produce without Jimmy, Kittle, and Debo? I'm not excited about it. If I have any 49ers players, I'm I'm a little nervous. I'm, I may be wait a week to see what the offense is like. But then again, if you have a running back on the 49ers, they are playing the Packers. So I'd start every single 49ers running back that you have. Um, but it's, it's, it's tough. I, I would want to see what they got, give it a week to see um 
even with Nick Mullins doing what he did when he did come in, we've seen him other weeks earlier this year, and it hasn't been that pretty. So you're losing your top receiving option in George Kittle. You're receiving another just weapon. I'm not even going to call him a receiving option because he runs the ball just as much in Debo. Um, yeah, it's tough. I wouldn't be excited to start him, that's for sure. I think Aoke is going to draw a tough matchup, kind of the same conversation we had about the Packers and Jair Alexander. Um, it is notable that Tevin Coleman, who finally came back this week, apparently re-aggravated his MCL and he's going to be out again. So even when they start to get guys back, they haven't really been fully healthy. So they're going to be relying on Jarek McKinnon, Jermichael Hasty a lot in that particular game. And we already saw that uh, Nick Mullins and... Um, C.J. Beathard have not been great options for them. Uh, they lost a game at home earlier in the season. They probably should have won to the Eagles, and it, it really kind of dampers things. I would be very scared of the 49ers next season when they get all of these guys back, plus the fact that I think that uh, given all their injuries, all of the struggles they've had, they may end up drafting a quarterback, and then they're really dangerous. So I think look out for the 49ers next year, but this kind of – is a bummer for how far they fell uh, after losing the Super Bowl in such a tough way. Uh, my other question of this one, and I, I think it's it's time to really visit this question. Is DK Metcalf the best receiver in the league? Yeah, I, I feel like I – maybe I just said it to you in text message, or I feel like I said it on here. You could argue that he is dynasty wide receiver number one. Um, these next couple weeks that uh, the Seahawks have, he is going to be going up it's against some of the best wide receivers um, that are wide receivers, some of the best cornerbacks that this league has to offer. So we're really going to see what he has. Um, but you can argue that this guy is the next Megatron as fast as he is, as big as he is, as strong as he is, as well as he can high point. Um, a football and bring down all 50-50 balls. It's basically like 99% balls to him. Um, yeah, DK, I, I'm pissed that I passed him up. I'm pissed that I bought into that he can only run in a straight line. Um, we are seeing that these big, fat, wide receivers are the new, they're what everybody wants. You know, you're seeing Chase Claypool have his, the success that he's having. So, yeah, I think you can argue and have a very good argument that DK Metcalf is dynasty wide receiver number one. And granted, it's a what have you done for me lately type of league. You know, Michael Thomas hasn't played all year, all that other nonsense. You know, Julio was hurt the first couple of years. Um, Nuke is in a new offense and everything like that. But as young as he is and as good as he is, and he's got another five years of Russell Wilson on his side. I like those odds. I really like those odds. Jerry Rice had some of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game with him, and we still think he was probably more talented than either of the guys throwing him the football. Mm -hmm. So I really don't look at that as a knock. It's just a fortuitous opportunity for him. You love the work ethic. He is fast as all get out. I mean, yep. that that was the thing that most impressed me about that whole situation with the chase down of the uh, pick six last week against Arizona is just how incredibly fast that he could chase down a defensive back in this league and just do it on a dead sprint. I mean, it was incredible. But I, I think for everything he brings to the table and that Russell Wilson is a top five quarterback, you have to put him in that category. He's had one down week this season, and partially it was that they'd featured a lot of Tyler Lockett. 
and he was okay with being part of that as the game plan. Every other week this season, he has performed and he has balled out. And I just, I don't see anybody else that, I mean, there are guys that are good. Devontae Adams is excellent. Michael Thomas, we haven't seen this year. You pointed that out. And so I, I the jury's out on that one. But, you know, Allen Robinson, um, Nuke Hopkins, all of those guys. But for all of the things that he puts up and just the pairing with the quarterback, you got to love it. I mean, yep. it's incredible. Yep. I, I'm I had him comfortably as a wide receiver one by the end of the season, and I was too low. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm telling you, man, like, what what round did he go in our draft? He went at like least third round. third round, right? Yeah, he went at least third round. I know I passed him up once, and I thought, okay, if he's sitting there in the next round and I'm there, I'll take him reluctantly. Man, he's so fucking good, and he's so much fun to watch. For my normal, um, I, I, I try and pair good receivers, good young receivers with good quarterbacks. I've missed on a lot of guys so far, you know, dropping Devonte Adams after he got hurt that one season, um, not taking Metcalf. Uh, even Michael Thomas got to second round in our yeah. draft that one year. So, I mean, I kick myself a lot for some of these, but I think that the way that the spread offense has really changed football is you're getting more athletes at quarterback and more uh, premier athletes at wide receiver and corner. And the game is won in the passing game with the run sprinkled in um, to give you an option and really uh, control your play action passing and a lot of those particular things. And the best athletes on the field are constantly going to be at quarterback, receiver, and corner. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of these camps now, are you know it's just shells where you have like a foam helmet probably no shoulder pads and it's just cornerback wide receiver cornerback safety you know some linebackers go to these camps as well yeah it's just seven on seven um a lot of one-on-one drills and everything like that the best athletes and the game has changed you know before when we were growing up when we were growing up we were younger the best athletes played running back you know we're not that old you know i'm we're 30 years old well to be fair you were the better athlete on the back and I played running back slash fullback and I was I played, not a particularly great athlete. I played every, I played running back. I played quarterback and pop Warner and everything. But then in high school, I played wide receiver. I mean, but all of the, all of the athletes now you're right. All the athletes are going to the defensive backfield to play safety or corner or going to play wide receiver or to play quarterback if you have the arm to do it. I mean, the game is changing. It's becoming faster. It's becoming more explosive. And um, you're going to see a lot more bigger wide receivers coming into the league, I think, and be successful right away. All right, let's reluctantly move to the last two games of the week. Uh, The first of them, the Sunday night game, we had mentioned it in the preview that this was not one that we were looking forward to watching. I don't think I watched a single second of this thing because – it, it was depressing that this game was even in prime time. Carson Wentz, 123 yards passing, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, Jalen Rager in his first game back from injury, not his first game for the season, though. Three catches, 16 yards, one touchdown, one carry for six yards. Dallas Goddard also returned for the Eagles, who are starting to get healthier. One catch for 15 yards. Travis Fulgham, again, putting up big numbers for this team somehow. Six catches, 78 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, as the Eagles win 23-9 over Dallas. Ezekiel Elliott, 19 carries, 63 yards, one catch for 10 yards uh, with their fourth-string quarterback. 
one of the biggest surprises to me was Michael Gallup getting 12 targets in this game for seven catches and 61 yards. I guess, can you be excited? This was possibly their best matchup of the season. Can you be excited about any Eagles player right now? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, the team is getting healthier. Carson Wentz played like shit. I think a lot of those interceptions that he had, one for sure, the wind took and took it like 10 yards in the other direction. Um, that was one of the interceptions. Um, but Fulgham, um, I think we were both wrong about him. I think earlier on in the season, we – I forgot what the choice was, but I'm pretty positive that we both said that he was going to be a little bit of a flash in the pan, um, and we were both wrong about that. Um, I think he's here to stay, but I think this is an offense that can support two fantasy-relevant wide receivers. I think Jalen Rager is going to be that other wide receiver, not just because I have him, because I think he is that incredible of a talent – um, they try. They tried to get him involved early. He had six targets. Um, you know, he had a touchdown, only 16 yards, but a lot of his stuff was short and underneath. Very fast, can high point a football. I think they're going to complement each other really well. So yeah, I mean, if you got Fulgham or if you got Rager, I think you got two future fantasy assets that are going to be very productive for years to come. I think Fulgham, yes, is a mainstay in this offense. I think Rager's there. I think Goddard's there. And that's the future of that team. Um, They're going to move on from Ertz. They're going to move on from Jeffrey. They're going to move on from Deshaun Jackson sooner than later. I do think that they're um, likely to ruin their draft position by winning the division. But, you know, that's what you play for anyway. So I can't fault them for any of that. Uh, The Cowboys, we expected them to be bad, so I'm not going to even really try and draw some conclusions other than that Zeke got some decent volume in a game where they really weren't competitive, and the wide receiver situation was as bad as we said it was going to be, but they were playing with their third-string quarterback. I will note for next week's game that Andy Dalton was diagnosed with COVID and is on the COVID list going forward, so obviously you re-rate your Cowboys players there, but... Zeke looks like the only viable option, and right now he's kind of even in flex territory right now. He might be running back, too, based on the volume and how effective he can be, but, like, it depends on the matchup. So uh, as far as the Eagles, Boston Scott was okay in this game, but, uh, again, I, I, Wentz is such a unusually anemic player. He'll have a great week one week because they're throwing from behind against the Giants. The next week, he'll just completely disappoint you in a tantalizing matchup like this. So I, that's my problem with this is just the level of inconsistency. You know that some of the talent is there and, and the rest of it, but I, I want to see more to really feel confident in starting any of these guys other than maybe Fulham because he's been putting it up like four or five weeks in a row now. All right, let's move to the last game of our week, the Monday night football game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers pull out a close one, 25 to 23. Giants can't convert a late two-point conversion uh, in the last minute of the game. Uh, Tom Brady, 279 yards passing, two touchdowns. Leonard Fournette, 15 carries, 52 yards, three catches, 19 yards. Ronald Jones, seven carries for 23 yards, four catches for 23 yards. Mike Evans, who we mentioned a lot earlier in the show, five catches, 55 yards at a touchdown. Uh, Gronkowski, four catches, 41 yards and one touchdown. Again, cementing himself as kind of this unusual uh, tight end, uh, upper tier tight end situation. Uh, 
Daniel Jones, 256 yards passing, two touchdowns, two costly interceptions. Sterling Shepard, another good game coming back from injury, eight catches, 74 yards. Evan Ingram, five catches, 61 yards. Uh, I guess one of the more interesting situations with Tampa Bay, who's got a better than average offense and had just enough to kind of pull out this game in kind of an ugly, scrappy way, but uh, we've been talking about their running back situation for a while now. Has Leonard Fournette established himself as the Buccaneers' number one running back? I don't think that fumble that Ronald Jones had um, helped him any. I mean, he was off the field for a good two series, I think, before he got back in. Um, I think Leonard Fournette, as the weeks go, um, I think he's going to take more and more of that backfield. And I don't get it. I don't know what Bruce Arians has against Ronald Jones. You know, he was, I know this is Bruce Arians' first year, but Ronald Jones had a pretty productive year last year. He started out the year um, pretty productive, and he was going really, really well. Um, I'm kind of surprised they made the trade for Leonard Fournette, to be completely honest, but yeah, I think uh, Fournette takes over that backfield sooner rather than later. The carry disparity would tell you that it's probably as much. We've seen it now two weeks in a row, and I think that as long as Fournette stays healthy, which, knock on wood, has not been the case for most of his career, that you'd like him as the, as the guy. They've clearly featured him. Um, they think he's probably more talented, which I would tend to agree. Leonard Fournette was a top 10 pick, if I remember right. He might have been yep. like the pick overall um, for the Jaguars a few years back. So... Uh, I think this might be a situation, we mentioned it on the show, I can't remember exactly when, but I think they look at Fournette as a rental player, and thus they're going to run him into the ground, and they are going to save Ronald Jones, um, who's kind of more of a long-term project for them, uh, for a guy that uh, they can use down the road. Arians is looking at being the coach for a few more years, and so I, I think that might play into part of the decision as well. So I, I would probably take Fournette going forward for the rest of the year after that you can reestablish again i think if the buccaneers end up getting to the super bowl possibly winning it as a lot of people are projecting right now with their defense and tom brady and everything else that that team has that um this team may look very different next season but for right now that's what you're going on uh i guess the other question i had we were very tough on gronk coming into the season um, you are an Evan Ingram owner, and the tight end situation is kind of up and down for most of these mid-tier guys, but would you rather have Gronkowski or Evan Ingram just for the rest of the season? Obviously, with one being closer to retirement, having done it once already, and the other one, dynasty purposes, this is rather obvious, but just for the rest of this season, which would you rather have? Um, That's what I thought. Yeah, I, it, it's it's a tough one. It really, really is. Um. But I guess I'm going to go with Evan Ingram, and it has nothing to do with him being on my team and hoping that he has a really good rest of the year because I need some points from my tight end position. Um, but I, I'm going Evan Ingram because for Grankowski, there's a lot of mouths to feed, and there's one more that's coming in that when he left football was probably the best wide receiver in the game. Um I think that just takes away from some opportunities that you have. Um, but you're still going to be their red zone target. Also, with Evan Ingram, you can see that the Giants are trying to get him more involved. They're trying to run more plays for him than just little three-yard curls, speed outs, drags, all that other stuff. Um, they're trying to even get him involved in the running game as well. So 
for those couple of reasons, I'm going to take Evan Ingram, but it's a tough question. I do think this is a lot tougher because Ingram is disappointed in a lot of ways, and we've talked about it. But he is not produced in an end zone fashion, and this is like the fourth game in a row we've seen Gronk with a touchdown. For as many good, um, favorable situations as the Buccaneers are tending to be in, and Brady wants that red zone target, I think I'll take Gronk just for the rest of the season based on the touchdown producing, because I think this is more of a trend than a one-off. But again, obviously the long-term, that's a, that's a different situation. So I think that's a good spot. Uh, that takes us through this week's games. Thank you to everyone for listening. We will be back again later this week to break everything down in advance of the week nine games, uh, probably after the Thursday night game, but maybe we'll come at you during that, uh, depending on how the Packers are doing. Until then, wear a mask, everybody, and we'll talk to you later this week. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our technical provider and distributor is Anchor FM.